Well, this morning we are going to continue uh, uh, our uh, study of when we talk about our vision and and what that means to us. We we spend our time in uh, Psalm forty six last uh, Psalm forty seven uh, last night. So we're talking about uh, God being King and how that Psalm is uh, a Psalm that from ancient times has been read on Rosh Hashanah. Uh, and it talks about blowing the shofar and, and declaring Yod, God our King. And we pointed out that even in the Machzor, uh, that psalm is very prevalent uh, because that is a main theme of this holiday. Uh, and uh, that is uh, uh, the kingship of God. The kingship of God, the covenant of God, and the revelation of God. God revealing himself. Uh, and, uh, and they all uh, really kind of all are three parts of one understanding of, of who God is. God is uh, our, uh, our, our king. So we learned last night that, yes, we are accountable uh, uh, to him and we need to repent and, and we need to demonstrate what it means to be a follower of King Yeshua. And we said how he brings consistency, he brings consistency uh, an order to our lives because he never changes. Uh, he is our ruler, and since he never changes and his ways never change, then the whims of politics and world leaders and uh, whether it be the weather or people around us, whatever it is, that uh, God remains the same, and he is the only one who ultimately never disappoints. Uh, and we talked about that also on Shabbat, if you remember, uh, from Psalm uh, 27, you know, where it says, My father and my mother have uh, left me, but you will never leave me. Uh, you are the God of my salvation. We talk there that while people may disappoint us, God never does. God brings order and consistency uh, uh, to our lives. Uh, and then uh, at the end last night, we, we talked a little bit about, therefore, so how do we demonstrate that? So we we talked about our uh, vision of experiencing Israel's future uh, uh, today and some aspects of that, mostly our relational aspects of that. But today we want to look at that uh, in a little bit of a different way. And so just keeping in mind that God is our king, uh, we want to turn to the Brit Chadashah, the new covenant in the book of Romans. Okay, And we want to talk a little bit about uh, in chapter 8, beginning in chapter 8, we're going to take a little bit of a look at some passages that should be very familiar to us as part of the Messianic Jewish movement. This part of the book of Romans is, uh, you know, it's like Romans 1.16, like the mother's milk of the Messianic uh, movement in Romans 9-11. to But what we may not be aware of is that the passage actually is... Uh, motivated by what Paul says at the end of chapter 8, <laughs> okay? And that's uh, a very important, you know, there were no chapter divisions nor verses uh, uh, when, uh, when this was written. So it was one big thought. It was not uh, now, you know, chapter 8 ends, uh, we'll take a month off and start working on chapter 9 like a, with, with a different title and and with a different meaning, but no, they, they uh, have very much to do uh, with each other and a lot to do, again, with our vision and our calling. And on Rosh Hashanah, 
it is a good time for us to get clarity on that, you know, to remember who we are and to remember our calling in, uh, in the Lord. All right, so in Romans uh, chapter 8, there's a very familiar verse that we apply in lots of ways to our own lives. And I'm sure many of us could attest to the truthfulness of this in our own lives. And that is Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, right? Even when I say Romans 8, 28, I think for many of us, oh, I know exactly what that is, you know? Uh, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, while we can apply this to our own lives, and it can bring us great peace and uh, solace, that when he was writing this, I would suggest he was thinking in much larger uh, about a much larger issue than what's going on in, you know, in each of our lives, while that is indeed important. But I think that he was thinking of a much larger issue. And, and so we want to talk about that. I think that when he uh, uh, relates uh, verse 29 and 30 uh, to this, when he talks about whom he foreknew, he predestined, uh, he is talking about, first of all, first and foremost, he's talking about all of those who embrace Yeshua, not just you individually who he predestined, you who he foreknew, you uh, who are the firstborn among many brethren, you who he called, but us who he called. As Messiah followers, no matter who we are, uh, and no matter uh, what uh, congregation we attend or what our individualized calling may be, as important as that is, I think he was talking about all of us, and he's basically uh, uh, saying here that we're secure in Messiah Yeshua. That, uh, and he speaks of it as actually having taken place. Uh, in verse 30, those whom he justified, he also glorified. Uh, we know that we are not glorified by, uh, by defining that as our resurrected body uh, or anything like that. Uh, but we know that, uh, that God, uh, by his grace and his mercy, that when we receive Messiah, we become part of the called people. And we said last night, by, by repentance. You know, that's our entrance way is, is by repentance. Uh, and we become part of this called people. And he's saying this as a great word of encouragement. That uh, uh, if all that is true, he says, if God then, uh, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things. Who brings a charge against God's elect? In other words, he's saying, if you, are, if you have embraced Yeshua, you're part of the called people, there's, because of, of, uh, uh, of all that God has done, no matter what persecution, no matter what charge there may be you know, uh, uh, against, uh, uh, against us as Messiah followers, that nothing can separate us from God. If you go down to verse 37, 
But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer Him who loved us. For I am confident that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Messiah Yeshua our Lord. Now I know that usually we apply that individually. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, And it gives us great solace. Right? That nothing can separate us from the love of God. No matter whatever happens, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Okay? But I would suggest that what he's talking about here is not us as individuals, even though we can apply it that way. The reason I've said that about 10 times is so that at the end today, that we don't get confused and think, you mean it doesn't apply to me? I don't want to say that. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, is, is sometimes we miss what he's actually talking about uh, in the big picture. And that is, he is dealing with the question. Because, we don't, you know, you would have to do, you'd have to keep going back and back and back to the beginning of the book to actually get to the, you know, the entire context of everything he's saying. But he is dealing with the issue of if Yeshua really is the Messiah, Okay, if Yeshua really is the Messiah, then why is it that the Jewish people basically are not believing that he's the Messiah? If he's the Messiah, uh, how could all of this be? And it goes all the way. You can follow the argument all the way, all the way back. Uh, And and so it is. It is. uh, It is fascinating here, because and that is why he says, "I am telling the truth in Messiah." I am not lying, my conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Messiah for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen who are according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises." Whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Messiah, according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. And actually, that would be actually a better place to have started the next verse, right after the word failed. That would have been a, a, a much better place, I th- my own personal opinion, to start the next verse. Okay? Or even the next chapter, perhaps. Uh, because what he is saying here is that, yes, uh, Yeshua really is the Messiah, and our security really is in him, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. But perhaps a question might then be asked, if that's all true, well, then what about the Jewish people? If nothing can separate us from uh, 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 the love of God, who is, which is in Messiah Yeshua, and uh, the prophets have talked about him, uh, and he's been the promise ever since going all the way back to Abraham, well, then, uh, what's the answer to that question? So first, Paul says, gives a witness, one could say, to the faithfulness of God that his word has not failed. And that's what he's going to explain here. We're not going to do a verse-by-verse here of Romans 9, 10, and 11, but you can read it on your own. But that's what he's driving at here that the word of God has not failed. God is faithful, okay? Uh, And what he's going to do is begin this argument by saying 
that it has always been a smaller group within the group who have been the children of promise. And he starts out with uh, specific individuals, right? He says, uh, when he says the word of God has not failed, he says, for they are not all Israel who are descended from, from Israel. Neither are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. Uh, and then he says, that is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but children as of the promise are regarded as descendants. And that's actually what takes place when you go back to the book of, of uh, Genesis. The, uh, the Torah reading for today is the passage uh, of Isaac, Abraham and Isaac going up the mountain on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. Okay, uh, And uh, it's interesting that when you read there, when God tells Abraham to take Isaac, he says, your only son. He says, your only son, the son whom you love. But all you have to do is read a few chapters back and you see that, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Uh, Ishmael was a son. And not only that, but Abraham loved Ishmael. So, it's, so when he says here, very, very uh, uh, carefully, when he says... Um, uh, neither are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. And then when he says, the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. Okay? He's talking about within the, the physical uh, children of Abraham, not all are children of promise. So he begins with Ishmael and Isaac, and then he's going to talk about Jacob and Esau. Uh, and the reality is, is that after you follow this argument down, actually, if you go down to, if you go to chapter 11, he says, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Uh, and so uh, Paul is testifying here to the faithfulness of God that his word has not failed. And that the children of promise, according to this passage, according to what his subject matter is here, are the Jewish people who have embraced Yeshua. And God's word has not failed because he gives himself as exhibit A. God's word has not failed, and he says he's one of those descendants, Right? I, uh, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, uh, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And then he gives this example of Elijah. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed thy prophets, they have torn down thine, thine, uh, thine altars, and I alone am left and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. And so, uh, well, actually, just if you read the next few verses down, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. In other words, it's the favor of God to fulfill the calling. What then? That which Israel is seeking for it is not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. 
And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forward. So what Paul is doing here is he's saying that just like in the days of the prophets, just like going all the way back even before the prophets to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that it has always been a subgroup within the children of Abraham who are the children of promise. And clearly in Romans chapter 11, uh, he, he says God has not rejected his people even though they've rejected the Messiah. Even though by and large the Jewish people as a people have rejected the Messiah, God has not rejected his people because Jewish people come to faith in Yeshua. This is very important to us. When we talk about our calling, Yeshua is our king and living Israel's future today, we need to be a te- we are called, we Beth Messiah congregation, we are called to be a testimony of God's faithfulness to Israel. We are called uh, to be a living demonstration that uh, Jewish people know the Lord, know Yeshua. Uh, that Yeshua is the Messiah, that what goes along with that is that, that uh, Yeshua is the Messiah, that he's Jewish, he is the promised Messiah, and that God has not forsaken his people. Uh, we are called to demonstrate the fact, again, that Jewish people know the Messiah. That is why it is so important for us uh, that there be Jewish people at Beth Messiah congregation. I mean, that would be the most obvious thing, right? Uh, very important. It's not just that we are called to be uh, a, uh, uh, you know, a, a biblical congregation and people come because we keep the feasts or something like that. That, that uh, It's important that uh, we all recognize that, that we are called to be an ethnically Jewish congregation with Jewish people in it, Okay. Uh, and that we demonstrate that, of course, by the way we live, by the way that we conduct ourselves, by the way that we do our services, by the, by, uh, uh, by the language that we use. That's why uh, here uh, the, the way we speak about Yeshua is important. It's not just some little thing. Oh, you know, uh, you know okay, I'll say Yeshua for you today here, you know. But it's very important. Words are important. Words are symbols. Uh, and they demonstrate uh, uh, who we are. Very, very Im- important. All of that. All of that. Okay? So, in these, what we see here is uh, this witness that we are called to be uh, uh, to the Jewish uh, community. Now, now, if you go over to chapter uh, 10, of, uh, in between chapter 9 and 11, okay? All right? He says... Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Okay? That's just, I mean, really, uh, that is a great verse for us. We certainly desire Jewish people to hear the good news of Messiah Yeshua and to embrace Yeshua. Not because we're trying to convert them to become uh, uh, Christians, but because we want uh, Jewish people to have the, uh, the same experience of, of knowing God in such an in- intimate way and that Yeshua really is, uh, is our Messiah. When we sound the shofar and it's a wake-up call for us, yes, it's a wake-up call for us to get right with God so that we can fulfill this calling and, and be whom we are 
uh, indeed called uh, uh, to be. Okay? Now, along with this, there is, uh, uh, again, if you go now back to uh, chapter 11, we're also called to be a testimony to the Christian community, to the Christian community that uh, uh, God uh, desires that Jewish people know Messiah and that it is part of the calling of the Christian community to bring this message to the Jewish people. So, you read in verse 11, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression be riches for the world and their failure be riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles. And as much then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry of somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So he says to these people in Rome that, you know, uh, the way that this is working out is that the, the rejection of Israel is the way that God has used to bring this message of the Messiah to the Gentiles. And that their rejection is not the end of the world. It's not, it, did they stumble so as to fall? Meaning, did they stumble so as to fall permanently, like that it's all over? As a people, the answer is no, may it never be. But by their transgression, not rejecting, uh, of, of rejecting the Messiah, Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. And so we are called certainly to be a witness to the Christian community to share that very important truth, to be a reminder to the Christian community of this calling of bringing the message of Yeshua to the Jewish people. Okay? So that's another. Uh, and, the, and the, by the way, and the reason is is because it has ramifications in the heavenlies to the consummation. And that's what he, how he motivates them. Uh, you know, in verse uh, 15, for of their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, meaning that the gospel is going to the Gentiles, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead, like a euphemism for the end? How important it is to bring this message to our people. Okay, so we're called to be a witness to the faithfulness of God, that His Word has not failed, that uh, what the promises, what the uh, uh, prophets have promised, is true and has come to pass, and that God has not abrogated, broken His promises uh, and His covenant relationship with Israel. And in fact, Jewish people are indeed coming to know the Lord. And the, and secondly, we are to be a, a, a witness. Uh, to say that the reason that there is blindness upon the Jewish people, among other things, is so that the nations, the Gentiles, can have, could, could hear this message. And then, bless Israel back, bring this message to the Jewish people. But then we're called to be also a testimony of the unity of Jew and Gentile in Messiah. And this is quite clear. Paul talks about the fact that the rejection, the, uh, the part that we haven't covered is the, the part that the rejection of Israel leads to 
Gentiles coming to believe. And now we see this relationship of Jews and Gentiles who believe in verse, beginning in verse uh, 16. And if the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. If the root is holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and become partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you're arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root. The root supports you. Okay, so he's saying to them now that there is this unity of, uh, of Jew and Gentile, that the Gentile believers are like, uh, it's like unnatural. It's, it's something that has never happened before, uh, that as a, as a wild root or wild branch grafted in and partake with the natural branches. So what's interesting that it doesn't say either, either become a natural branch or, or partake uh, instead of them. But it says, with them. That even within this olive tree, there is this understanding of natural branches and branches who are grafted in. And the branches all partake from the root, the covenant relationship. We, we partake together of this root. And we demonstrate that here uh, at Beth Messiah. Right? Just as we said at, you know, at the end of Psalm 47, it talks about Israel and the nations worshiping the king together. And that's exactly what we do. Uh, and that is why at Beth Messiah we also participate uh, in uh, uh, periodic events uh, with the churches in our community because on a grander scale, we're one in Messiah with them just as we as individuals are one in Messiah here. Okay? And we participate in events in the Jewish community because we are the remnant of Israel and participate in the Jewish community. Uh, and so we testify of the unity of, uh, of Jew and Gentile being one in Messiah. And that is quite clear from the way that we, uh, we uh, uh, conduct ourselves. And so uh, how important it is, it is uh, uh, for us uh, to, uh, to understand that when we talk about our vision, uh, that we have a unique calling in our community uh, to testify as a Messianic Jewish community that God's word is true, it has not failed, and God is, we see that God's faithfulness to Israel in uh, that Jewish people uh, know the Lord. And that we're a witness to the Christian community that, look, uh, God is saving Jewish people. And uh, as a reminder of the need to bring this message to the people. And a testimony of Jew and Gentile uh, together uh, in Messiah. And that is indeed what Paul brings out uh, here in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Now, when you come to the end of chapter 11, when you come to the end of it, uh, he says here, I guess beginning in verse 28, From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's gracious choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And so what he's saying here uh, is that Israel is not forsaken. Yes, there is a remnant today, but notice what he's going to say uh, here. 
uh, or as he, uh, as he says, uh, uh, from the standpoint of the gospel, they're enemies for your sake, but from the standpoint of uh, from God's uh, gracious choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. All right? And of course, uh, he says in verse 26, and thus all Israel shall be saved. Right? Uh, so we are the remnant today, looking forward to a day when Israel will believe. We are, that's what it means when we talk Israel's future Today, the future is Israel will believe as a people. But today, we experience that uh, ourselves individually and as a, as a Messianic uh, a Jewish uh, a community. And then he uh, finishes up by saying, For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. Do you notice that he's like, he repeats this using different words over and over again? Okay. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so then now also, so these also now uh, have been disobedient in order that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience that he might show mercy to all. And then he ends with this, with, with this, uh, like he, he can't hold it in, like, how, how magnificent this plan is. Oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. I love that, how unfathomable are his ways, because none of us would ever figure out that this is the way that God would uh, choose to bring the gospel to the world. That he brings Yeshua to Israel, the majority of people reject him, He's crucified, uh, raised from the dead. The majority of Jewish people don't believe. That, so then the, the apostles bring this message ultimately to the Gentile nations. And then the Gentile nations are called to bring the message back to Israel. Oh, the depth of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his ways. How could this, you know, who would have ever thought this up, Right. And I think that that is what Paul has in his mind when you go all the way back to chapter 8 in verse 28 when he says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. That even when we think about our own lives and the things that happen in our own lives that don't make sense, and, but, but we're hanging on to the love of God because nothing, nothing can take that away. But things happen in our lives that don't make sense. Well, let me just say on a grand scheme of things, the rejection of the Jewish people of the promised Messiah does not make sense. doesn't make sense. Why, after sending the prophets uh, and the promises, and then here is the Messiah, one would think this is the end of the story. Now, the Messiah comes, he becomes king, the Romans are all, uh, uh, you know, uh, sent out of the land and defeated, and Gentiles then come streaming to Jerusalem, and that's the end of the story. But we know for 2,000 years, that is not the end of the story, right? Uh, and so, uh, the wonderful thing we know is that God is a minister of reconciliation, and that we see Jewish people coming to know the Lord. We see this unity of Jew and Gentile. 
And so God is indeed at work, looking forward to that future day. And so we need to all live our lives that way. We as a community are called to live that way. We talked about other ways that we're called to live that way last night in our relationships and how that is a reflection of our relationship with God. But specifically in this calling of a congregation of Jewish people and Gentile people, loving the Lord together, worshiping together, we testify of that future. Uh, and we need to make sure that nothing, that nothing gets in the way of that. We need to make sure that we never forget our calling in that way. And so therefore we become very strong in bringing this message to the outside world, being very uh, strong in articulating it in a particular way to Jewish people, in a particular way to Christian people, and to the community at large, which is really what we talked about last night, of uh, where real peace and uh, real acceptance and real validation and real forgiveness and all that can take place, which the world desires. But as Jews and Gentiles, let us not forget that calling. Uh, and, uh, and on uh, this holiday, on Rosh Hashanah, it's a great time for us to just give clarity, to uh, you know, get clear on that. Uh, and as we begin a new year, let us move forward uh, again uh, uh, with that calling in mind and being creative and thinking of ways, well, how can we do this better? How can we testify better of the reality of Yeshua to our, to our people and to the Christian community uh, and to the community at large? Uh, and, and how can we live in such a way here that demonstrates the, the, this truth of the Jewish life of Yeshua in the midst of our congregation and in our relationships and all that we are? And so may Yeshua uh, really, really be our king as we live Israel's future today. Uh, let's pray. Lord God, we, uh, we do thank you for the calling you have given to us. Lord, and we pray, God, as the days and weeks and months and years continue, that we will not forget that calling. Lord, thank you that we do remember it, but Lord, uh, uh, we need to be, periodically, just like um, we have every year uh, at this time of year, they need to repent. We repent so that we can truly live the way you would have us to live. And God, you've called us to this, this work. And Lord, I know that it's our heart. We have the heart of Paul when it comes to these things. When he says, I'm telling the truth in Messiah, I'm not lying, my conscience bearing me witness that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart and I could wish that I myself were accursed separated from Messiah for the sake of my brethren my kinsmen according to the flesh Lord may we have that heart to bring this message to our people and we know that in doing so we're all blessed and that as Jewish people come to faith more people who are not Jewish come to faith and Lord we do pray that we would testify of your love, again, to the Jewish community, the Christian community, and our community at large. And we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.